Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this is the 121st program in this series. I'm presently in the Gospel of John, chapter 19. What has happened is that Jesus has been crucified. And John describes what happens next after Jesus has been crucified. And what he does is he points out two specific things. He doesn't say a whole lot about the crucifixion itself. The other gospel writers had a lot to say about the crucifixion. But there were two things that John decided to point out that he felt were really important that were a reflection of what was described in the Psalms. And he presents this as a fulfillment of Scripture. In a sense, he describes this as being a prophetic fulfillment, although the Lord did not explicitly say that this would happen, not in the way that other prophecies were expressed. Other prophecies were expressed directly. The Lord says... The Lord has said, thus saith the Lord, and then we have a description of what is going to take place in the future. That's not what happened here. What happened in these Psalms that John decides to bring our attention to was something a little bit different. It wasn't the Lord saying explicitly, this is how things are going to play out. Instead, what we have is we have a song recognized as a psalm, the difference between S-O-N-G and P-S-A-L-M. But in effect, this is a song that was written to be sung. And even though we don't have an explicit statement that the Lord says, there is definitely the appearance that the Holy Spirit of God was a part of the writing of the psalm, just because it is so well connected to the future events that unfold. And the description is so close to what happened that in many ways, I really think that we can look at these Psalms that are referred to and say that they were divinely inspired. We don't have the absolute evidence and mechanism of proof available to us as we do have with other prophecies that were fulfilled. But this is close. It's really close, and I believe it leaves things open enough that we as individuals can ask our God, we can speak with our God and ask him to share with us what his participation was in the writing of these psalms. And if he testifies to you that he was very much involved, then I would say that this is a good thing, and this is a way for us to experience our God relationally in the present age. Again, it's not as absolute as other prophecies, but it is enough. It is just enough in order for us to be able to experience a personal connection with our God right now as he may testify to us and say, yes, I was involved in that. 
And I will come back to this in just a moment. We have this section referring to the casting lots for the garment. And then we have another one in a couple of verses below. But before I get to that, I'd like to go into verse 25, 26, and 27, and then look over verses 28 to 30, just briefly to show that there's a second example of John showing a type of fulfillment to the Scripture. And then I'll come back to verse 24 in just a minute. So going to verse 25, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and his disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour that disciple took her to his own home. Now, the reference to the disciple that he loved is an indirect way of saying that this is probably John. It's probably the person who's writing this. He doesn't name any of the other disciples. And he used this expression in previous chapters, especially when he was referring to the last Passover, when Jesus exposed Judas as being the one who would betray him. But here, in between the two events that he describes as fulfillment of Scripture, he inserts this conversation between Jesus and his disciple with reference to his mother. Now, all that we have here in this description is that there was a disciple of Jesus who assumed responsibility for the mother of Jesus from this day forward. Now, Jesus had other brothers who could have done this, so this does give an indication that there were some social dynamics going on between Mary and her other children, and that these dynamics were probably resolved in this way. But we don't have enough information to really know. All that we do know is that this is a little out of place. We would expect Mary to be taken care of by Jesus' other brothers, like James, for example. When James eventually got saved, he had a lot of things to say about caring for those who were in need. So this does seem to be a little out of place when you consider the social dynamics that could be surrounding this. But this is something that happened, and it was a personal experience between Jesus, Mary, and the disciple. Now, some people have suggested that because of what happened here, that there is now some kind of connection between Mary and all of us, all of those who believe in Jesus as the Messiah or who become Christians, that supposedly now there's some kind of connection between every disciple of Jesus and Mary. There are some people who promote this idea, but that is just simply not here. All that we have here is the beginning of a relationship a new kind of relationship between this specific disciple and Mary. Mary would have lived the rest of her life, and then she would pass away. And then the disciple would, of course, no longer be taking care of Mary, as Jesus asked him to do. So I personally think that this is just something that John decided to insert into what happened here because it was personal to him. But even if it wasn't specifically him, even if he was not the specific disciple, 
He recorded what happened. And so this was a relationship that started when Jesus asked the disciple to take care of his mother, but it ended when his mother passed away. So continuing on into verse 28, it says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled the sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. So again, in verse 28, we have another description of the scripture being fulfilled. But this is in reference to Psalm 69. And in Psalm 69, verse 21, which is what this is referring to, it does not say, thus saith the Lord, in a prophetic sense. So when describing this as the fulfillment of Scripture, we need to recognize that this idea of fulfillment is not necessarily going to be as concrete as other prophecies that we do have in the Scriptures. But this is a second example of John saying that there is fulfillment of Scripture that is taking place. We have the first example beginning in verse 24, and the second one in verse 28. And these are the two things that John decided to say and to describe about what was happening at this crucifixion in this short little section that we have of what John felt was important to recognize about what happened. So then going back up into verse 24, this is the division of the garments. Now I'm going to read a little bit from Psalm 22, which is what he's referring to. In Psalm 22, beginning in verse 1, it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now John did not record Jesus saying this. This was recorded in the other Gospels. So we do know that Jesus wanted the people to pay attention to what was said in Psalm 22. He pointed the people to this psalm by quoting the first verse so that people would know where to start and to see that what was described there was happening in their presence. Now, Psalm 22 is a psalm that was written by King David. And this is David expressing his own feelings about what he experienced in a moment in his life. He did not write this as, God has spoken to me and he has asked me to record this for some kind of future event that David simply does not understand. This was written as an emotional expression of David himself. This was his way of saying, these are my feelings when it came to events that I personally experienced. That's the first way that we need to understand Psalm 22, is from the perspective of the person who wrote it. So when he says in verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This would be a way of David saying, This is how I felt. I felt as if God forsook me. Continuing in verse 1, Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, 
and am not silent, but you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you, they trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men, and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. So David begins by saying, this is how I feel. I feel as if you're not necessarily there. I feel as if you've totally forsaken me. You helped my forefathers. You helped others who cried out to you. I'm crying out to you. Where are you? This is what he begins with. Now, moving ahead to verse 12, he says, Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at my mouth with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. So consider verse 14. In verse 14, he says, I am poured out like water, and my bones are out of joint. Why would David say that? That is his way of saying that he is definitely feeling a little out of place. And yet what we see here in the crucifixion is that Jesus' joints are quite likely going to be a bit out of place because of what he is suffering, because of what he is enduring. And so in Psalm 22, verse 14, we have David expressing the feeling that his bones are totally out of joint, and Jesus is experiencing his bones being out of joint. Moving forward into verse 16, For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Now, were the hands and feet of David really pierced? We don't have enough information to know if he did or did not experience some kind of penetration into his hands or into his feet. This could be just his way of describing the anguish and the pain that he was experiencing in his heart. But what we can say with reference to verse 16 is that this does definitely correspond very well with what happens with a crucifixion. Now, it does not say, thus saith the Lord. We don't have one of those absolute prophecies like we do have in other places in the scriptures. But this is close enough. Again, this is not absolute, but it is close enough to suggest that there is a prophetic type description that is present here that would inspire John to say that the scriptures be fulfilled. Continuing on into verse 17, this is Psalm 22, verse 17. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Now, it could have been that David experienced this in his own life, that there was a moment 
when his enemies had captured him, they were treating him in a way that this is how he would describe it, and that they took his clothes and divided it amongst themselves. We don't have enough information to know that this happened with as much detail that he has described. It could be that these things happened to David. It could be that this is just simply a way of expressing the deep pain and suffering that he was having and that he was inspired also by the Holy Spirit of God to express it in this way and that even though we don't have an absolute thus saith the Lord, this is a prophecy, the Holy Spirit of God could very well have used David in order to document this, in order to write this down, in order for this to be a part of the historical record, so that one day, centuries later, Jesus could point us to this psalm and encourage us to believe that God was participating in the writing of this psalm, recognizing that this would happen in the future and that it is happening right now. So going back to John chapter 19, verse 24, you can see that what is described here correlates very well to Psalm 22. Again, in John chapter 19, verse 24, they said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, which say, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing... They cast lots. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. Now, this last phrase, therefore, the soldiers did these things, that doesn't necessarily have to mean that the soldiers didn't have a choice in the matter and that God was overwhelming their will and their flesh and making sure that they behave this way. I don't think that that's what was happening. But this is a way to emphasize the fact that there is a psalm that gives us a very good description of these events that have happened much later. Therefore, it is reasonable to suggest that God was participating with the writing of this psalm when David was writing it. We should recognize that, and we should also see that there is a divine connection with the events that are taking place here, that our God expected that this would happen in the way that it did. Now, moving forward to verse 28, the next section where John decides to describe the fulfillment of Scripture. In verse 28, it says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. And then we have the description of the sour wine, or also known as vinegar. This would be present there, and the soldiers would give it to those who were being crucified in order to help numb the pain a little bit. It would affect a person's mind in a way that they could endure the crucifixion a little bit longer. It's similar to getting a person drunk when they have a serious injury, so they can endure the pain a little bit better. But what this corresponds to is Psalm 69. In Psalm 69, we have a few verses here that I would like to point out. Psalm 69, verse 4 says, Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. They are mighty who would destroy me, being my enemies. Wrongfully, though I have stolen nothing, I still must restore it. Now, this verse, verse 4, the end of it, refers to a theft that somebody suggests took place, and we don't have that 
corresponding to the trial of Jesus before Pilate. But what we do have is a lot of people who hate him without a legitimate cause. And I have referred to this a lot in the previous messages, that the people who were so much against Jesus, they did not have a legitimate reason to be against him. When he was crucified, he was not crucified for a legitimate reason. He was crucified because Pilate was being extorted. It was extortion that caused Pilate to send Jesus away to be crucified. There was no violation against Roman law. So I wanted to point that out in reference to Psalm 69, verse 4. Moving ahead a little bit to verse 8, I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children because zeal for your house has eaten me up and the reproaches of those who reproach me have fallen on me. In verse 8, an alien to my mother's children. I believe that there is a subtle reference to what Jesus asked one of his disciples to do with reference to his mother. He has been separated from his brothers and sisters. There is his mother. There is a disconnect in the relationship between himself and his brothers and sisters. Therefore, he defines a new relationship between his disciple and his mother. That's Psalm 69, verse 8. Not an absolute prophecy, but it is close enough to suggest that there is divine inspiration concerning these events and a connection between what was written in Psalm 69 many centuries prior and what is happening here in John chapter 19. Moving forward in Psalm 69 to verse 21, it says, They also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. And I believe that this is probably what John was thinking of directly when he said that the scriptures may be fulfilled. Again, in verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now, a vessel full of sour wine, which can also qualify as vinegar, was sitting there and they filled a sponge with the sour wine, put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Now, to say it is finished in this context suggests that he wanted to demonstrate that there was a correlation between Psalm 22 and Psalm 69 in the scriptures that would suggest that this was a fulfillment of what God expected would eventually take place, and that we should recognize this from that kind of a prophetic point of view so that we can see God's participation in the world for centuries to accomplish this one event that took place. So he said, it is finished, and bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Now, some have suggested that this was a spiritual death that took place. I don't think that that is what happened at all, that when he gave up the spirit or he gave up the ghost in another translation, that he gave up his spirit, that this would be the Holy Spirit, that he experienced a spiritual death, a spiritual death in the sense of the absence of the life of God. 
I don't think that this would be the case if he did give up the Holy Spirit. If we make that assumption, we still have to recognize that he does have a spirit as a man. We are all composed of a body, soul, and spirit. The spirit of Jesus, his body, soul, and spirit in this sense, the spirit of Jesus was the equivalent of the Holy Spirit because God manifested in the flesh as Jesus. Jesus was God manifested in the flesh. And so his spirit in and of itself was the equivalent of the spirit of God. If the Holy Spirit dwelled within him, as I believe the Holy Spirit did, dwell within the spirit of Jesus, he could easily give up the Holy Spirit in this sense of giving up his spirit and still be spiritually alive in a divine context because his own spirit was divine, being the physical manifestation of the living God. So in that way, I personally do not think that he died spiritually at all. And I will continue into the rest of John chapter 19 in the next program. Thank you for listening. This is the 121st program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I was in John chapter 19, verses 23 to 30. And in this program, I spoke about the two different aspects of John saying that there was a fulfillment of Scripture, and he gave two examples of that in Psalm 22 and in Psalm 69. And the second thing is the establishment of a new relationship between his mother and one of his disciples. Now, in the next program, I'm going to divide these up and describe what was taking place in three different parts. One, with reference to the fulfillment of scriptures of the dividing of the garments. The other is the establishment of a new relationship, but instead to speak of it prophetically as it is represented in Psalm 69. And the third part will also be a reference to Psalm 69 with regards to the giving of the vinegar. But in the next program, I will be emphasizing the fact that God quoted King David. So in this program, I emphasize the inspiration of the Spirit. But in the next program, I would like to emphasize that God quotes what another man wrote. And I will explain this more in the next program. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net thank you